fathers, grandfathers, husbands, brothers, uncles, sons, neighbors, and friends. We all have important men in our lives every single day. June is Men's Health Month, and it's not the only time of the year, of course, that men should think about their health, but it is certainly a good time to remember things to consider and things to implement that can improve the quality and longevity of life. Better informed, better prepared. Living a better life in the Upper Cumberland. Your health and you with the Putnam County Health Department. Today on Your Health and You, presented by the Putnam County Health Department, I'm joined with Dr. Matt Bolton, physician with the Upper Cumberland Regional Health Office. June is National Men's Health Month. Thank you, Dr. Bolton, for joining me today. Could you explain to me just a little bit about what Men's Health Month is? Sure, but first of all, I just want to say thanks for inviting me. And Men's Health Month is a time during the month in which Father's Day occurs where a national effort is made to emphasize good health to men. Now, why is Men's Health Month needed? I can think just from stubborn men in my life <laughs> why, why it would be a good, a good thing to have, but why is Men's Health Month needed? Well, I think you actually hit the nail on the head there. It's the hard, stubborn head. Absolutely. <laughs> You're saying that, right? You know, men are known for putting off uh, seeking health care, seeking preventive services. Women are much better, actually, at that, but better getting checkups and getting problems checked out than men. I believe that. My dad once sat at work and had a stroke, like like a facial stroke. And somebody walked by and he and said, what are you doing, Charlie? And he said, well, I'm sitting here having a stroke <laughs> and, then, mm, and, wow. and literally stayed at work. Well, stubborn. Stubborn. Men are just stubborn. Uh, I mean, no right. offense. Oh, no. No offense, Doc. You, it's absolutely <laughs> correct. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I've had many conversations over the years with men who are putting off getting checkups and have ignored warning signs just like your dad. And obviously, sometimes to their own detriment, just like, unfortunately, to your dad. Sure. One thing I ask men is, would they run their car or their truck without maintenance on purpose until the warning light came on or until the engine locked up. They're always adamant in saying they would never do that. They wouldn't do that to their car, but they'll sure do it to their body. <laughs> That's right. You know, you can sit around listening to men talk, and they'll argue about insignificant things like, you know, how often they should change their oil. And they have these very strong opinions about that. I wish that men would be as passionate about their health maintenance as they are about their vehicle maintenance. And and part of that maintenance, just like with a car, is checkups, annual checkups right. for different things. So where are these annual checkups available in the Upper Cumberland? Well, we're blessed with a great hospital and medical staff in the county with good, many good health care providers practicing in Cookville and Putnam County and in the surrounding areas. Now, oftentimes, people with insurance have a free annual physical exam as a benefit. Uh, what is it they call them, the well checks? Yep, that's mm -hmm. exactly right. And that's just a benefit with our health care coverage. And people without health insurance do have some quality options in the area, including the health department. As a matter of fact, uh, the Tennessee Department of Health operates community health clinics in all the county health departments in the 14-county Upper Cumberland region. They're staffed by nurses, nurse practitioners, and physicians. Uh, quality care available. I've, I've experienced that. I know locally here at in the Putnam County Health Department, you can't uh, you you can't uh, skimp when it comes to your health, and you don't. Uh, I know just from experience myself of of 
over the years being a patient at the health department. It's uh, and oftentimes it's a lot of the same doctors uh, that some some have practices of their own and then come over to the health department sometimes, too. So it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's the same, even some of the same physicians that you would see at a, a regular practitioner's office. So that's uh, that's comforting, I think, when people learn that, that, you know, there, these are doctors. These are <laughs> you're getting the same kind of quality care, and it's all under one roof. That's what's great about the health departments around the Upper Cumberland. I know they do a lot of work and strive very hard to service the needs of our communities, and that's certainly appreciated. I know by the residents around our areas. Well, we take pride in taking care of the people of this area, and I believe we do a very good job at that. Absolutely. It's Your Health and You, presented by the Putnam County Health Department. Today, we're discussing Men's Health Month with Dr. Matt Bolton, physician with the Upper Cumberland Regional Health Office. I'm Marsha Lee. Uh, Dr. Bolton, I know we all want to be healthy and live long quality lives. Uh, It's, uh, of course, sometimes not about the quantity, but it is about the quality. And part of the quality means uh, avoiding diseases and issues. So what are some of the diseases and issues that hinder us from achieving that goal of a long, healthy life? And what are some of the leading causes of death, especially among men, as we cover Men's Health Month? Well, the CDC lists uh, heart disease as the number one killer, which I think doesn't surprise many people. And right behind that's cancer. Then just going down the line, they list chronic lower respiratory diseases, accidents, strokes, Alzheimer's disease, diabetes, influenza and pneumonia, kidney disease, and then self-harm, you know, suicide. Uh, Well, let's just start at the top of the list, especially uh, I know when we discussed um, in a previous podcast, we discussed stroke and things like that but heart disease and stroke are certainly more prevalent in the south i mean we have delicious fried chicken and i can only assume (laughs) that part of that is is contributing to heart disease so let's just start at the top of the list what can be done to prevent or at least postpone heart events two well-known risk factors for coronary artery disease are being a man and having a family history that is positive for Heart disease. I'm glad you added the family history because I thought you were going to stop with having a family. <laughs> <laughs> well, these two risk factors are set. You know, uh, the other ones, though, people commonly hear of are smoking, high cholesterol, diabetes, and high blood pressure. Those can either be stopped or controlled. While seeing your health care provider, they may suggest further testing, such as labs which check on some of these risk factors and even a stress test, depending on your symptoms, your risk factors, and your EKG results. Other things to do, though, are just quit smoking, treat high cholesterol, control diabetes and high blood pressure, and exercise for 30 minutes, five to seven days a week with moderate exercise such as walking. All of these will help reduce the risk of heart disease. Those are all great suggestions for anybody, not just men. Um, exactly. Um, as we continue down the list, what about cancer? What are are some some factors that in, involve men and men's health and cancer? Well, the number one killer of men in this category is lung cancer. And 90, Again, back to the smoking, I'm sure. That's exactly <laughs> where we're going. Ninety percent of lung cancer is caused by cigarette smoking. Another cause is radon gas exposure. So getting your house checked is, is not a bad idea. Colon cancer is another cause of death. Colon cancer usually is very slow-growing and arises from polyps. If a person gets a colonoscopy, 
Often these polyps can be easily removed during that procedure so that when you wake up, the polyp that was found has already been removed. That way you nip it in the bud. At 50 is when colonoscopy is recommended, but your provider may recommend it earlier if you have a family history of colon cancer. Well, uh, while we're on the discussion of cancer, of course, no men's health discussion would be complete without covering prostate cancer. What about prostate cancer? Well, one in six men will develop prostate cancer during their lifetimes, but the death rate from prostate cancer drops to only one in 35. There's an old saying that goes that most men with prostate cancer will die with it and not from it. Mm. Hmm. Well, um, what is uh, on on this list that I'm, I'm looking over? What is a PSA, and should a man get one? PSA stands for prostate specific antigen, and it's a chemical that is produced in the prostate gland, which can be measured in a blood specimen. The problem with the PSA test is that an elevation of the PSA can be from other things other than cancer. So it's not necessarily if you have that elevated level. You've got cancer then. That's correct. Uh, In some men, uh, elevated PSA may actually be normal for them. But following up a PSA usually involves testing such as an ultrasound or biopsy, but these can cause complications. Therefore, a man should tell his provider about his symptoms and about any family members who have prostate cancer, and they will individualize a plan for that patient. It's Your Health and You, presented by the Putnam County Health Department with Dr. Matt Bolton. I'm Marsha Lee, and it's National Men's Health Month. Uh, it looks like chronic lower respiratory diseases are also a concern, as you listed some of the the causes of death in men earlier. Um, what are chronic lower respiratory diseases, and what should a man do in order to decrease the risk of these? Well, most of these type of diseases that people <clears throat> are aware of are COPD and chronic bronchitis, and they're almost always caused by smoking. Here's where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Quit smoking, and if you don't smoke, don't start. Just pure and simple. That would take away the lion's share of chronic lower respiratory diseases. Now, accidents, they also were on the list that that we covered earlier. Uh, What you know, I mean, accidents sometimes are going to happen. You can't you can't prevent them all the time. But what uh, would you recommend as far as accidents in this area? Well, don't drive or ride under the influence. Wear your seatbelt. Never ride a motorcycle or an ATV without protective gear. Remember all the gear all the time. Wear life preservers. Treat every gun as if it were loaded. Don't run with scissors. Most of this stuff... <laughs> Most of this stuff is what your mother taught you anyway. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so uh, so certainly uh, you you can't control the other fellow on the road, but as long as you're controlling yourself, then you've got half the battle won at least. <laughs> <laughs> Another important topic of interest during Men's Health Month is stroke. We're joined with Dr. Matt Bolton, physician with the Upper Cumberland Regional Health Office. I know in a previous podcast, we covered strokes more in depth. Um, and the the I learned certainly a lot uh, in our previous podcast that did cover strokes. But as far as strokes and men's health, what can someone do to prevent a stroke? Quit smoking. Treat high cholesterol. You just cholesterol. keep saying that, Doc. <laughs> I, there must be something to it. <laughs> Repetition is the mother of learning. Right. <laughs> 
Quit smoking, treat high cholesterol, control diabetes and high blood pressure, and moderate exercise for 30 minutes, five to seven days a week with exercise such as walking. All of these will reduce the risk of stroke. I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but (laughs) but doing these things goes a long way towards preventing a stroke. Certainly. Now, we discussed heart attacks a a little bit earlier, and and a lot of the preventative measures for heart disease and stroke are similar. But what about aspirin? I know that after my dad had a heart attack, he took an aspirin, like a a low milligram, like an 81 milligram, I think, aspirin uh, every (laughs) day. You know, took one every day. So should people be taking an aspirin, is that something that can help with preventing heart attacks or stroke? Well, we know that taking aspirin, such as a low-dose 81-milligram aspirin, mm-hmm. like your daddy takes a baby aspirin, they can prevent subsequent heart attacks or strokes. But the answer is not clear if... If you've never not, had one, if you've never had one, there's no clear answer as to whether or not it could help prevent one. But yes. certainly, if you've had one, take that aspirin. That's exactly right. <laughs> You know, I think people should speak with their health care provider and see what they recommend for them, and they'll base that individualized upon their history and family history. And what about uh, as we're heading down this list? Uh, so far, we've we've covered different types of cancer. We've covered heart disease. We've covered respiratory diseases. We've talked about stroke. And as we head down the list, Alzheimer's disease also makes the list. So what should men know about Alzheimer's disease during Men's Health Month? Alzheimer's kills more women than men. In general, women live longer than men on average, usually because men die of not taking care of themselves and not getting regular checkups. Stubborn. <laughs> I think we said that word more than once already, hadn't we? That's true. I think so. You know, it kind of reminds me of that old oil filter commercial where the guy said, you can either pay me now or pay me later. And he was the, the point he was making is spend a little money on a good oil filter now or buy a new engine later. Well, just a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of whatever to get these checkups can make a huge difference. There are actually some exciting medicines coming soon that may help people who are developing Alzheimer's. In the meantime, in addition to getting these regular checkups and controlling the various conditions and diseases and being physically active, it's also important to be mentally active such as reading and doing mental exercises, such as crossword, crossword puzzles. Crossword puzzles. I knew yeah. you were going to say that. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Sudoku, uh, that's good too. Doctor, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not even knocking on the door of 50 and I can't do a crossword puzzle now. <laughs> so <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that I'm going to be able to do one later in life. <laughs> But uh, but I I certainly uh, like you said being physically active is important, but your mental activity is just as important because what's the old saying? If you don't use it, you lose it. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know, <laughs> just like exercising your body, you can read. You know, stay mentally active, stay involved with other people. You know, have conversations. Those are the ways to keep that old brain working. And and certainly some good advice. I know. Uh, I know younger generations and and their smart devices and their phones i don't know if that counts as mental activity or not but i i know uh seeing older generations with those crossword you know getting the newspaper every day and working the crossword right. puzzle that was you know that's a that was something that that a lot of older generations did for many 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 years oh sure and probably knew a whole lot more and were a lot smarter for it so <laughs> 
Well, my grandmother, she worked them all the time, and you did not want to play against her on Scrabble because she knew she the had word a great master. vocabulary. Oh, she'd kill us. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's certainly uh, part of keeping a sharp mind and keeping sharp mentally is to is to work those muscles that you've got up there. Now, diabetes, of course, is on the list, and it is more and more common um, in the world that we live in today with instant uh you know fast food options and things like that i think certainly increases the probability for a lot of these different issues but diabetes is a big issue especially in this area right, right. <laughs> banana pudding at every <laughs> at every church dinner and and mile high pie and mm-hmm. and hummingbird cake i mean i'm telling you there's yeah. a lot of sweet treats out there but it is a big issue especially in this area so how can you prevent diabetes well the best way to prevent diabetes or or at least put it off as long as you can is to remain active and to maintain a normal weight Inactivity and obesity are the biggest modifiable risk factors for the development of diabetes. Again, sounding like a broken record, but by participating in moderate exercise for 30 minutes, five to seven days a week, a person can better help keep their weight under control. But exercise also makes your body more sensitive to insulin, which makes your own insulin go further and do more so your body does not have to produce as much insulin. Your pancreas, that's the gland that produces insulin and helps maintain normal blood sugar, it has to work harder if you're sedentary or if you're overweight or obese. This makes your blood sugar gradually rise over the years, so your pancreas has to work harder and harder trying to keep your sugar controlled, which causes it to eventually burn out, and type 2 diabetes is the result. Now, um, so type 2 diabetes, there are some things that that you can do to prevent that there are things you can do to prolong um, the onset of type 2 diabetes but what about type 1 diabetes is that something that can be prevented or if you're genetically predisposed to type 1 diabetes you're just going to have it and that's all she wrote well unfortunately you're hitting the nail on the head Uh, type 1 diabetes cannot be prevented and so what is type 1 diabetes then and what causes it well, type 1 is the type that requires lifelong insulin starting at the time of the diagnosis and usually occurs before age 40. The average onset, though, is age 14. I know um, a, lot of, a lot of type 1 diabetics that I know were diagnosed very early on, you know, yes. you know even before double digits. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, and sometimes those people you'll see out their mom or somebody else in the family who has had type one as well. Um, I've got a good friend and she she developed type one at age 35 and she was trim. She's my wife's best friend, but it just happens, you know. Uh, the cause is unknown, but it's thought to be caused by an autoimmune issue where the body actually attacks itself. Specifically, it attacks the cells of the pancreas that produce insulin. Mm. And current thinking is that a viral infection may trigger this autoimmune hmm. response. I had no idea. You learn something every day. <laughs> well, the inheritance part is someone who is genetically susceptible to it. If this virus happens to come along, then it may produce this horrible effect. But if they never get the that virus, it, then the, they may they never They never get have it. the trigger that causes the symptoms, that causes the diagnosis. 
Uh, exactly. it's, it all works together. It's Men's Health Month with Dr. Matt Bolton on Your Health and You, presented by the Putnam County Health Department. I'm Marsha Lee. So we continue our discussion of men's health issues and concerns uh, discussing diabetes. So uh, we've talked about some of the risk factors and we've talked about some of the the ways that you can uh, be diagnosed. We've talked about some of the reasons for type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetics are insulin dependent. Uh, but type 2 diabetics sometimes are, sometimes aren't. But uh, how... How do you figure out or what is the uh, what is the level when oral medication for a type two diabetic is no longer effective and insulin has to be implemented? Well, you're correct saying that uh, folks who start out as type two diabetics oftentimes do eventually have to go on insulin. And what usually happens in those cases is the pancreas just simply wears out and it can no longer keep up. It just can't produce insulin in a significant amount. At that point, that patient needs to have insulin from an outside source in order to bring their blood sugar down and keep it under control. People who have type 2 diabetes who are on oral medicine dread insulin. They don't want to go on insulin. But they need to understand that even those folks who are keeping their weight under control and are exercising, as time goes on, their body, specifically their pancreas, gets just where it won't respond anymore. So in some people, no matter what they do, that pancreas is eventually going to wear out and they'll have to go on insulin. And so many times they feel like it's a failure. They, they Sure, done I've done what job. I was supposed to. I've controlled my diet. I've exercised. I've watched what I eat. And now I'm still going to have to take a shot. That's exactly right. And they, they don't want to, and I don't blame them. But that's just the natural progression in some people. So they shouldn't necessarily look at it as they failed. It's just the next step. Fortunately, we've got some very good insulin regimens. And who knows, in the next 10 or 20 years, there may be even greater things that are even easier for I mean, diabetics. I th- it's exciting I think it field. Would be, I think it would be fantastic if you could put a patch on you know, and not <laughs> an insulin patch. Like there are so many other medicines that are administrable through patches uh, from pain medication to birth control. Uh, I mean, I think that would be a phenomenal thing to be able to do away with the pumps and to do away with the needles and and put on a patch. How much more convenient? And ha- I know that when my dad when, when my dad was around, if I'm tired of getting stuck. That was his. <laughs> he didn't want to check his blood sugar. He didn't right. want to get those shots. But if you could have slapped a patch on him, he would have never known, and he would have been fine with it. Well, that'll be a great discovery, a great invention, if they ever can come up with that. Well, somebody write that down. I because I, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> now, we're moving on to another important thing. And I don't know the statistics necessarily, uh, but if I judged um, by how my dad went to the doctor or wanted to take shots or medicine, I'd wager that it's a lot more common among men than women to do routine things. For instance, uh, one of the routine things that a lot of folks do, I mean, for goodness sakes, you can even get them over at your pharmacy now, is a flu shot. It's an important thing, but I know uh, a lot of those routine things that gentlemen 
don't do of stubbornness, I think we've mentioned before. Um, but what is uh, something that you could say to encourage people to get the flu shot and what can be done to prevent getting the flu? Uh, of course, I know that a flu shot is no 100 uh, percent mean it, it doesn't 100 percent mean that you won't get the flu. But what would you say to encourage people to get the flu shot and also uh, how to prevent the flu in flu season? Well, certainly, you're absolutely right about the flu shot. Getting the flu shot is is uh, is a given. Everyone should get that who's six months and older, unless they've been told not to by their physician or the provider. Most people know that a flu shot can prevent the flu, but some people also think that they can get the flu from the flu shot, but that's incorrect. The injectable influenza vaccine, it actually contains the dead influenza virus, so it it cannot cause the flu. It just revs up the immune system so the body starts to produce antibodies which help protect us from the flu. I I think also a lot of times people don't really respect the flu the way they should. They'll get a cold and they'll say they've got a touch of flu or they say they've got the flu. Mm -mm. But when they get the flu, they know know the difference between it. And, And... in folks who have had flu, they know that it really makes them sick. And in fact, influenza and pneumonia kill thousands of people every year. There are vaccinations for various causes of pneumonia as well. So during a men's health physical, he will be reminded of these facts and will be given the opportunity to take advantage of the ways to help reduce his risk for these preventable causes of death. These vaccines are just part of his body's tune-up, which he can get during his checkup. Sure. Uh, now, the flu shot, I know, is a yearly thing. How often do you have, is the pneumonia shot also a yearly thing, or does it last longer, or is it like a vaccination for the chicken pox? <laughs> when you, once you've had it, you don't have to get it again. I don't, I don't know much about the pneumonia vaccine. Well, there are a couple of pneumonia vaccines that are um, typically given to people at uh, age 65, but uh, the the frequency of those vaccines is somewhat dependent on their other uh, health problems. Sure. Uh, it is uh, certainly an, another thing on our list, and it seems more prevalent among men than women. And I could be wrong. I'm certainly not in the medical field at all. <laughs> but you hear more about kidney disease uh, when it comes to men than you do with women. So what is um, what is something that men can do to prevent kidney disease? Well, kidney disease is usually associated with diabetes, high blood pressure, and smoking. So if you control these diseases and don't use tobacco, you will definitely decrease your risk of kidney disease. And uh, just because I don't know, uh, are kidney stones a byproduct of kidney disease, or you can have kidney stones without having kidney disease? You can definitely have kidney stones without having kidney disease. Uh, it's rare this day and time for kidney stones to cause kidney failure or kidney disease, but if someone were to have a kidney stone that obstructed them for a long period of time and for whatever reason didn't get checked, right. or didn't get that taken care of, then that could damage their kidney. But usually kidney stones are so painful, people are going to go get Yeah, get I mean, even, even, even the stubborn, uh, the most stubborn of the stubborn, are pretty much debilitated with a kidney stone. That's so. right. They, they hurt so much, they're they're definitely going to go see 
about that. And we do have some great urologists in this area. And what they do in that case is they'll they'll put a little tube past the kidney stone to allow the kidney to continue to drain until that kidney stone can be passed or removed. Speaking again of not using tobacco, now would be a good time for me to quickly go back to cancer and tell you a story about a 44-year-old man I saw several years ago. He told me that he started dipping, dipping smokeless tobacco, Mm -hmm. when he was 14, and he smoked for a short period of time as well, but he quit smoking because he was worried about getting lung cancer. He knew from the warning signs on the cans of smokeless tobacco that it could cause oral cancer, so he went to the dentist twice a year and for his regular cleanings, and the dentist and the hygienist would screen him for oral cancer. However, he came to me passing blood in his urine, and the cause was kidney cancer, also known as renal cancer. Although this man did not, although this man did not smoke for fear of lung cancer and got regular checkups for oral cancer, he was not aware that it was until it was too late that tobacco in any form is also a risk factor for cancer of the kidney and bladder. I well, and I I mean, of course, tobacco use uh, comes with a lot of different uh, problems. Uh, it can cause a lot of different problems, but that's a new one for me. I had never uh, I had never heard of it causing kidney cancer. Yes, I, I wanted to make sure that we got that out today because unfortunately, so many men do use tobacco. And some of them are aware about the lung cancer and oral cancer issues, but they're not about the kidney and bladder. Hmm. It's uh, certainly certainly something to be aware of um, before you start using those types of products or uh, certainly to stop using them if you currently are. Uh, another item that made the list during Men's Health Month, and it's unfortunate uh, that this is more and more common that we see uh, suicide, self-inflicted harm, uh, especially in light of some recent celebrity suicides. Most of us know someone or some family who has been touched by suicide. What can be done about the terrible uh, cause of death in this area uh, for those suffering, um, mental, uh, you know, issues, depression that might lead to that? And what can be done for survivors as well? Well, I agree that suicide is a terrible waste and it's a horrific tragedy. I recently had a friend who killed himself. He was an upstanding man who was loved by many people. I was shocked because he was one I would never put on the list of people I thought would have committed suicide. It reemphasized to me that many, many people are suffering in silence and do not get the help they need when they need it the most. There are more women than men who attempt suicide each year, but there are more men than women who complete suicide. Mm. Fortunately, we have some good resources here in Cookville where we can get quality treatment and counseling. Our local ER staff and most health care providers are trained in getting people seen by mobile crisis on an urgent basis whenever that patient feels like they can no longer be safe from self-harm. Once people are receiving treatment, they usually feel more hopeful because something's being done, Mm -hmm. you know, and they usually respond to antidepressants or counseling or a combination of the two, depending on the circumstances. And uh, what about for survivors? Uh, I guess some of the same things would apply to them, the counseling and and sometimes being uh, a survivor of of a loved one having committed suicide can lead you down the same sort of path of the depression and and whatnot. Right. I mean that that grief and and so often it's unexpected. 
but that grief reaction, it, it can be tremendously terrible. And and I always recommend counseling. I'd like to say that I see it over and over again. People oftentimes just want to appeal to help them get through a tough spot, whether it's depression or a grief reaction or anxiety. But over the years, I've seen if people will go get counseling, that can help them look at the stresses in their life mm-hmm. differently because you can put most anybody in a situation and put the right kind of stress on them, and they'll develop something like depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. So what happens is when we get an anxiety or depression, that creates an imbalance of the neurotransmitters or chemicals in our brain. So that's what the medicines do to help get those uh, levels to back. To regulate and, that. Yes, ma'am. But also the stresses are what bring that about oftentimes. And if they can learn how to look at these stressful things differently – then that can naturally help not th- those buttons not be pushed, in other words, so that those neurotransmitters or chemicals stay in balance. Well, it's it's much like a weed in your flower bed. If you can spray Roundup on top of it and get the top of the weed all the time, which would be the pill that you're taking, that, that gets that out of the way. But until you get the root, it's going to keep coming back. Right. Right. You can treat somebody with an antidepressant, but if that same root, that same thing that's pushing those buttons in their life is not addressed, and that's where counseling comes mm-hmm. in. Once it's addressed, then they won't get into that recurrent depression. It's a not just superficial treatment. Not that not that we want to, you know, knock medicines to help regulate. Those are those are important, and a lot of people need those. Um, but certainly, a more holistic approach to treating the entire issue, not just Absolutely. the surface. Right, right. It's your health and you discussing National Men's Health Month with Dr. Matt Bolton, physician with the Upper Cumberland Regional Health Office. Certainly, I've learned a lot. Uh, it's been very informative, Dr. Bolton. How would you summarize what men should do to take proactive steps to improve their health? Well, just like men take care of their vehicles and do regular maintenance, such as oil changes, men should also set up regular physicals with their health care provider and plan on regular checkups to get the most mileage out of their bodies. Just like they know who their mechanic is, they should also know who their provider is. And if they don't have one, they need to pick one. Maybe in between arguing with their friends about which oil filter is the best or what brand of tires lasts the longest, they can also ask their buddies who they would recommend to see to get a tune-up on their body. Remember, your body is not like a motor that can be replaced. When your body quits, you quit. That's right. right. (laughs) We've all heard your mileage may vary, but by being proactive and getting your checkups and doing the things we have discussed, that will maximize your mileage. Yes. Uh, you don't want to uh, say in my dad had was my get up and go done got up and went. You don't want to <laughs> you don't, you, don't right. you want you want to keep your get up and go as long as you can. Amen. <laughs> and if someone would like more information over the topics that we've discussed today or they'd like uh, some advice about, uh, you know, just about finding a good physician or a good mechanic to get their t- <laughs> to get their tune up. How could they get more information? Well, you know, word of mouth really is not a bad way of going about this, but also the hospital has a physician locator service, a physician finder, 
as far as just information on some of these topics we've discussed, you know, heart disease, you can go to the web and and find uh, go to the American Heart Association website. Same thing for diabetes mm-hmm. with American Diabetic Association. And on and on goes down the list. But we have to remember, when you go on the web, you can find almost oh, anything. Oh, I mean, you can diagnose yourself into a, a bubonic plague if you're not well, careful. That's true. And, and the sources I just named are good sources. You know, places like WebMD and Mayo Clinic, and that sort of thing. I, I recommend looking at that. And, and don't go to Joe Blow's blog on blah, 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 because who knows where where that's coming from. A YouTube video might be fine to change your oil filter, but not to get your medical services. <laughs> Amen. But really the best place to get your advice and information from is an individualized plan from your body mechanic, from your health care provider. That's always going to be your best source. That's going to take it ta- when when you want to prevent a problem, you don't take your car to the grocery store. You take it to a mechanic and the same goes for your body. You don't want to take it to a you don't want to take it to a discount place. You want to go to a good, reputable physician, uh, a good group of providers that can direct you to the right services and the right programs and the right advice and the right plan to maximize your health. Thank you, Dr. Bolton, for joining me. I'm Marsha Lee, helping you be better informed, better prepared, and live a better life in the Upper Cumberland. Your health and you, presented by the Putnam County Health Department. Thank you, Dr. Bolton. Thank you.